This is the Blake and Jake Podcast. You gotta have, like I said, four lines banging all night long, banging bodies, doing little things right. Slashing is um, like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, there's a penalty for that? Yeah. Recorded at the studios of Ryerson University, Blake has the on-ice experience. Jake is the longtime hockey writer and podcaster. Together, it's a hardcore hockey podcast with insights from media, players, and fans. You do that, you go to the box, you know, uh, two minutes by yourself, and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Now, here's your host. All right, let's go! Blake and Jake. Welcome back to another episode of the Blake and Jake podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Stoller, as usual, alongside Blake Norman, all the way in sunny California. Blake, how's it going? Not too bad. How about Marc-Andre, can I get a Mick Flurry, please? Wow. That was good. I like that. He was amazing. Let's, let, all right, Blake, let's jump right into that. Let's let's get to what we just witnessed. It's about 11.45, my time. What time is it for you right now? It is 9.45, my time. It's not too, not too late here, just because it was at... In Vegas tonight. Good old Vegas. That's awesome for you that you get to have the Western Conference schedule for that. So, game three decided in Winnipeg, Vegas. Vegas takes a series lead 2-1 after dropping game one in Winnipeg. They've rebounded to get games two and three with quite uh, emphatic performances, I would say. Quite uh, a lot of emphasis in the way they played and responded. And, you know, not a great three games for the Jets. But let's talk about tonight. Um, the game where Vegas really took control of the series, in my opinion. And it starts with Marc-Andre Fleur, as you mentioned. What what the heck happened out there with with flurry with everything? It's, Final score read three one. No, sorry, three four two. And a absolute like that was a terrible effort from the Jets. Part of my opinion, you can't win a game by playing one good third period. For instance, uh, Blake, tell me what happened in that game. You know, it's the it was the Golden Knights quick, quick, uh, quick transition offense. They like. Marshall so again. That was like first minute of the game. That was insane. Blowing, yep. blowing I mean, by Jacob Truba, and then that that finish. I mean, Hullabuck looks kind of slow on that, but to me, but that was a great finish. Like you, you cannot, you gotta applaud Marshall so on that one. Let me just make a correction. Final score is three one. Sorry, totally my bad there. Um, for, for, but final let, score let's... is four two. Really, Shifley scored twice. Thank you. Okay, so the Jets website says 3-1 final. I, okay, that was, whatever. It was 4-2. Disregard my correction, folks. Anyways, 4-2 final score from the Golden Knights. Speaking of Marshall Show's goal, a big part of this series for the Jets and the whole playoffs has been setting the tempo in the first period. So look at, for example, game one. You know, Jets came out with a absolutely soaring start. Scored three goals in the first seven and a half minutes, and the game is theirs. Look at game two. 
quick goal from Vegas, and that and Vegas plays their game. They play simple, and game three, Marshall breaks down, gets through an error, and he scores a goal for them, and it's one nothing Vegas. And from that point on, the Jets looked on their heels. They really did. Blake, what did you think about the Jets in the first the first second period? By the way, the first period they only had two shots on goal. What about them? What you know? What about their game was holding them back? Like I honestly think the Jets haven't been themselves since the first period in Game One. They they haven't looked. They haven't had that that jump to their offense. Like only I mean, other than the top line, I I didn't notice Line tonight. I didn't notice Stastny at all. I didn't notice Morrissey or Truba on the back end creating any offense. It's really just been that that top line and Buff leading the way, and I don't think they've had enough support. Like as we see tonight, Shifley getting both the goals and Buff leading the way in the physical department and the D zone. Like the Jets just they they just looked I don't know, they looked out of sync. They they didn't look they didn't look right. For all we say about Vegas being inexperienced, the Jets in my opinion are looking way more over their heads here. You got your supporting cast like Kyle Connor uh, Nick Lyers was injured this game, so let's let's subtract him from this. But Kyle Connor, Patrick Lowney, not only not producing, but not being strong on their stick, losing battles, that kind of stuff really, really hurts you if you're not scoring goals. That's the little things that come into play there. Like I mean, we talked about before how it's going to be a big test about the Jets and their depth and their youth. They have not come to play. Shifley is really, and Wheeler and Buffett, as you said, are the ones driving the train here. And, and you know, some poor decisions from Hellbuck in that game, but still, he's been consistent for them. But their youth is really coming to show. I If they don't wake up, like, is this series over? And I, and I really mean that. Yeah, especially with the, the Jets now now take over home ice advantage. Like, if they win this next game, they're one, 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 one close game that goes the wrong way for the Jets away from losing the... From not making the Stanley Cup final, when this is really their opportunity to seize the seize the seize the opportunity, seize the opportunity, seize the opportunity. Right. There you go. So we talk about all the time the Jets' perspective, and listen, partially that's my fault. But from Vegas, that they've capitalized to the max. They have been good on their chances. They've been clean. They've been playing their game. They haven't gone away from their game once. Just got scored on. 45 seconds in tonight in Game 3. And from then on, it was a different game. They, they failed to adjust. And meanwhile, Vegas is just trekking along with Marc-Andre Fleury in the pipes there. Blake, he, he's got to be A, their MVP, but also he's the constant favorite now, without a doubt, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think... Uh, those, those saves on Shifley were miraculous. Unbelievable. Well, a. And two, game-changing. If he scores a completely different game, Marc-Andre Fleury's been an absolute star for this team. That and you know, for all we talk about Vegas not having a star, Vegas actually does have one. It's the most important position. You know, it's it's like it's a stupid debate now that we're saying that. But what I noticed too about Vegas, they come at when they're you know whether it's in scrums, neutral zone, whatever, they're very strategic with their star players. You saw that scrum in the front of the net where Shifley and Wheeler were sent off, and Ryan Carpenter and whoever else was off. They are creating stuff like that where the Jets talk guys in the box and they're getting them off their games. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if Vegas loses Ryan Carpenter, what does it matter to them? Jets lose Mark Scheifele and Big Wheeler. Oh, boy. You know, that's uh, the only two people producing for the Jets. That's huge for Vegas. That's huge. Then Ryan Reeves has been allowed to be, you've liked him, haven't you? Oh, and, gotta, love, gotta love Ryan Reeves. Good old Ryan Reeves. You see that scrum at the end of the game? That was insane. But, um, I mean... I actually didn't. Do you mind, Claire? I did not see that. I was on my way down setting up this little podcasting 
segment of my bet. What happened? So there? to like, me, what? it looked like uh, Derek England completely put, like either he started or or uh, Adam Lowry started it, but one of those two threw a punch, and then it was just bam, all hell broke broke loose, and they were just throwing bombs at each other, like. Myers had England all wrapped up, and he didn't like that. Then you had Ryan Reeves looked furious. If you saw the look on his face, like I, I honestly uh, suggest you go watch it. Like after this, like it, it, it's pretty, pretty intense. And like even you see Bufflin, two guys at once again, just just manhandling them. Bufflin is the dad that volunteered to coach hockey and the kids start fighting. Oh, screw it. Come here, guys. He takes each of them by the collar. Like, he just drags them along. It's nothing. It almost looks like he's like, fuck, here we go. You know, doing two at once. Looking forward now, heading to game four, another game in Vegas. And, you know, I forget who said it, but maybe it was John Cooper, but someone who was saying how it's not a must win until you actually have to win it. I think it was Gerard Gallant. You know, until you're down three games to whatever. But I think this next game is a must win for the Jets. Big time. Going down 3-1, that's not fun, even if you're heading home. Yo, I, I definitely agree with you. Like, the Jets, they, they need Game 4, big time. Game 4 and Game 5, those are the swing games. They, they really need that game to, to really have a strong chance of winning the series. And, like, let's go back on Buff a little bit here. Like, I, I honestly wonder, because he, in my opinion, and... I wonder what your opinion is. He's the most intimidating, scary player in the NHL. Like, no doubt, no doubt about it. The and it, and do you think like I'm? I think that has been a huge benefit to the Winnipeg Jets throughout these playoffs and throughout the season. To be honest, he's been laying people out, decking people, making them pay whenever they have their head down. Like he fucking lays people out open ice. And you know what? And he, you know what the advantage of? that is, is he plays 25 minutes a night. So you're not getting that from Ryan Reeves, who plays, what, seven minutes a night? You're getting that from Bufflin, who's your number one, de- number two, you know, second-pairing defenseman, and he's actually playing meaningful minutes. And that intimidation factor, I think, is huge. Like, no one's going to go in the corner with Bufflin. No one's going to challenge him. And that's a huge part of it. And as great as that is, though, they've got to be doing more than just intimidating people at this point. They, they've got to get something... More like they've got to get more from just a guy like Bufflin. They got to get other guys that are putting players in their heels. Bufflin is doing with with him in, t- in you know intimidation and whatnot. Shifley Wheeler are guns flying and stuff. The rest of the team just looked flat tonight, and and frankly they looked flat in game two. And you're even right. As take away the first period of game one, Vegas has been the better team in this series, which is crazy to me because as a whole, what game one showed and particularly that first period was a was dominance from the Jets' end if they played their game. Since that, you know, maybe let's say, let's give them the second period of the game. Since then, they have not played their game. What kind of challenges like, does that present when you get away from your game? A team, like in, in their identity. Like, they, they're not, yeah, they're just not playing to their identity. Like, like I mean, honestly, Vegas has just been the faster team throughout the full 60 minutes in every, every, every game. Like, they, they just come at you with so much speed. Shift after shift. It doesn't matter if it's the fourth line. Like they're still gonna pin you in and make you, make you earn your ice. Like, it's it's crazy to see this team. Like, do you do you believe in the, the Winnipeg Jets now? Do you believe that they're a real team? Do you believe that they actually are this good? Like, oh, to me, oh, like it's the- like everyone's fine, finally realizing these guys are legit. Like these guys are actually Vegas or Jets. Vegas. Like, that Vegas oh, okay. can yeah. actually win the Stanley Cup this season. 
And they very well can. And I, and I want to emphasize that because, listen, what they're doing right now is unbelievable. It really is. They are simple and they are disciplined. I think discipline is, with everything that we give them credit for their speed, discipline could be the number one thing with them. They never get away from their game. They never make bonehead decisions. They don't, they, they're just a smart hockey team. And they give and you nothing. somewhere, they give you nothing. It, whether it's in the neutral zone, the defensive zone, they will stop you at all ends. They've got a, like, there was that power play in this game. I think it was the, the tail in the first period. And you're watching it, and it's like, wait a second. The Jets have more players than the Knights, and, they're, and the Knights are keeping them out of the zone. It's like, holy crap, you know? Like, they are everywhere, and they take up so much space. And the Jets saw that a lot with Nashville, but even Vegas here is taking away their lanes. I think the, a big kryptonite to the Jets is if you are on them pretty hard and you got your stick active, no matter what speed or skill they have, they get in trouble because they're young and they are. And they make a lot of those same kind of nifty dipsy doodles. And, you know, how I've always wondered this, Blake, I think you would know, like, how do you get that kind of kink out of your game? I find Kyle Connor every time he has a puck in the neutral zone, stick handles when he doesn't need to. Like, when do you get the simplicity in your game kind of ironed out, do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it just, like, I always say I wasn't a player, but I think it just comes with with maturity. Like, you just see it, and you don't see it in the older players, the the usually the guys with the A's on their sweaters or the C, and you you always see it with guys who are fresh in the league, uh, you know, newly newly drafted, like, all the young guys. It's just, it seems like it, it you can tell... A guy's a young player, a new new player to the league. When he's doing that, every time he gets the puck, just right. that little shimmy, sure. gotta always do it. It's counterproductive. It's like you know, you're not advancing, you're not getting in a way. Just, in a way. Okay, in certain cases, yes. But my point is, like, you're playing against Vegas, okay, and they have apparently taken away your ice, their zone stuff. You gotta start adjusting. I feel like this this Jets team's a bit stubborn in their, in their thinking. You even saw Marisa at timeout being like being very, very clear to them, chip, chase, go, or something, or one pass, two pass, you go. They were too fancy there. Let's let's move on. Um just staying in the series. Three keys heading forward. What does Vegas need to do here to keep give me three keys here, what Vegas needs to do to close the series out. Just keep keep driving on their momentum. Like win you gotta win game four. Like that Yep. That just puts the stranglehold on the series. They got to keep having that, that top line breakthrough with Marcia So uh, Smith and Carlson. Carlson's been. I know he didn't. He didn't score tonight, but he was all over no, the place. He was in all both, over the both he's ends of the, the ice. Very active stick. Always. He's always got a stick in the right place. Whether it's defensively in a battle or in front of the net or just making plays. It's something I really admire about him. One more key. And then the, the six-man really. unit in front of Fleury. Like, you know, yes, Fleury's been outs- outstanding. Phenomenal. But the that decor, the, the decor of no-namers is really coming right. through. You know, the youth in uh, in Shea Theodore. I've loved his, his addition to the Knights. Hit, like, that, that speed and... That ability to jump up in the rush, especially and then Colin Miller on the back end, that he's he that guy can fire a biscuit. He hammers I, the puck. I heard in uh, I his his rookie year with the uh, with the L. A. Kings because he was drafted by the Kings. They they radared his shot. He had one oh five on the gun. This guy is blasting Jesus. heat. Colin Miller is like it's so funny. He's like a top pairing defenseman now. Oh yeah, it, it's it's. And I don't think he's getting enough love at all because that decor has been great. I like guys like Nate Schmidt. I like guys, you know, like Brady McNabb, but Colin Miller is a player, and it's really interesting to watch him evolve. 
Now, shifting over to the Jets, do you think that they need to make adjustments? Do you think they need to tinker with something? And let's let's pretend either is, is back for next game. We don't know that. But what do you think that they need to do with their forward core, defenseman, or maybe they make any changes at all? I mean, you can't break up that top line, obviously. Like, no. I, I mean, no, that no. would be a stretch to what, like. Let's, here's an interesting thing. You know, Wheeler played center when Shifley was injured, correct? And he played quite he well. Played, he uh, actually like very scored well. better. He scored better at center than he did on the wing. So, what if they put Shifley, Wheeler, Stastny as your your three top centers, and and spread out the the talent that way, and then your fourth line center is Brian Little or Adam Lowry? No, you you do Lowry. You, you probably you do Lowry, shot. but. So then, then you got well, four, four, idea. four spread out lines to attack Vegas's four four way attack. Like Vegas uses all four lines to the T, and doing that, I think that would give the Jets a nice. It be it would definitely be a new look because new new winger winger combinations. Like it would it would be interesting. Where do you, where That's would you put lining on that? that? That's tough. I never you know what Blake? It's so funny. So I never thought of that 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 could be too bold for Maurice, but. That's worth it. Where would I put Lonnie? That that's tough. You'd probably maybe to get Lonnie going, you put him with Shifley. Um, but Shifley's a shooter he, as well, don't you think? Yes, but he's also a playmaker. He is a shooter, but he he also can create mm. plays. I don't know. Me and then oh, that is a very interesting idea. The one thing though, and what you said was about the, the the chemistry issue there. That could be tough to make a huge change, and you have no wiggle room to adjust. You either it either works or it doesn't, and you're done a three one. So, I mean, that, that definitely could work, but if they haven't done it yet, I don't think... See, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So their first line has been great. Mm-hmm. Don't fix it. That's the one caveat I'd bring to that. But the bottom three lines are not performing right now. They are simply, you know, they're not up to par right now. But I, I don't know. I, that's an interesting point. What about their defense? What have you... You said you didn't notice Morrissey and Shruba tonight. Offensively is, is one point you made. Uh, what do you see from their, guy, their game? Oh, they the Jets definitely ride on that pairing, and then Bufflin. I mean, they rely on Bufflin a lot more. Obviously, he leads the team in ice time, but they they definitely rely on that that pairing to stick together. For one, like I, I very rarely see them not out together, and then paired against a a top line all the time. And I think just from them, they just need to find it in the in themselves to to really up their game in this next in this big game four. I think the Jets are still a favorite. I really do. I I think <laughs> <sighs> I'm doing it again. I'm I'm uh, going against the Golden Knights. Homer. No, I do you not think the Jets are still the favorite. Uh no. I I definitely disagree you think, with you. You don't think home ice advantage? Has, game seven is going to be on uh, in Winnipeg. Oh, it's, it it's going to be in Winnipeg. <laughs> no, no. If it's going to happen. Game seven. I mean, it back. I I don't know. I I I see the. I honestly see the Knights winning this next game at home. Likely lose. And you know what? Likely lose case, game five and then come back and win it. End up the series on home ice. Did you have Vegas in six or seven? Ah oh, shoot! I think seven. Seven or seven? No, I think I did say six. Yeah, for that exact reason that they would end it on home ice. Hey, and they, they very well could. Before we move on to the next series, so I want to ask you about, do you, you see that little like hit from Buffett on James Neal? Yep. So 
he looked kind of woozy, and he did go to the quiet room. Um, but what kind of like? There's no any. There's no chance Buffalo gets anything. He he wasn't trying to hit him. He was just trying to fend off a body from the puck. There's no way there'll be something. Oh yeah, no, I, I do not think there will be disciplinary actions on that. Did you oh. did you see Neil kind of like get to the bench at that angle of him just being like, oh, like oh my yeah. god, like just that was kind of scary. Thank God he went to the choir. Otherwise, that would have been bad. That would have been trouble because very clearly needed to uh, get to the room. But anyways, moving on to the East, Dern Coves, Tampa Bay, and Washington are in the midst of a two-one split as well. Capitals were up two nothing heading to Game Three. And then the Game 3, Tampa Star Power prevailed. Huge performances from Stamkos, Kucherov, Braden Point, Victor Hedman. Uh, it's now a series. They've brought it to life. If they do come back, it'll be the first time in history someone's come back from 2-0 deficit in the conference finals. Blake, do we have a series on our hands, or is Washington still the heavily favorite in your mind? Oh, we got a series on our hands, no doubt. Definitely. I mean... The Caps had their way with them in, in games one and two. Let's be honest. Like the Caps were riding that that Pittsburgh Penguins high. They yep. finally got over the hump, beating the Pittsburgh Penguins in round two, and they they're riding that high. They still don't have Backstrom in the lineup. Like this is insane. Without without one of the greatest passers in the game right now, Ovi and the Caps are just they're really seizing this this opportunity. But like you said, the the Tampa Bay Lightning come up big in that game game three. They they had to win that obviously. You can't go down three zero. They were rolling on. They were rolling on all cylinders in game three. They had, they were two for two in the penalty kill. Vasilevsky did his job, made thirty six saves. Braden Point, who's got four points last two games, the kid's an absolute star. Like he is, and. Listen, you're right. Do you remember there was that whole thing about if Tampa get Carlson? I was like, you gotta throw on Braden Point, and you were so right. And I was wrong then too. I was wrong. Nothing's changed in that, but like, you can't trade a talent like that. And he is giving them an element that you never really thought you had with Tampa on paper. You look at Tampa and you say, so many young pieces, like really good skill, but they also have two really solid lines. Braden Point is, I mean, next year he'll probably be the verge of being number one center of the league. You know what I mean? He even could be now. And they have two lines of that. He's been great. Also defensively, I've noticed a lot from him. In my opinion, if it the Bulls keep playing the way they are, and they're continuing to play, you know, the way they do and having everyone involved, having Kucherov and Stamkos, big parts of their offensive contribution, they could come back. And I really think that they have a good chance to do that. I picked them and I'm sticking by that pick. And it's nothing against Washington, because they have been fantastic from, from all ends. I just think that Tampa has I think in that game, they showed that if they're rolling, they're rolling. And, and they can't be stopped. The question is if they can continue to do it consistently. Yeah, the, the Washington Capitals have just, they've looked insane. They've looked like they, they took their game to another level. And I said that last, last podcast. They had to take, in order for them to really have a chance of getting in the series, because obviously we're mid-series, they, they had to take their game to a new level. And you're no doubt seeing it from Ovechkin. Ovechkin and Kuznetsov are on fire. But with Ovechkin, too, we always talk about how, you know, a winger can't single-handedly win a cup. That's the, the long-standing theory and something that's been attached to Ovechkin. But what I've seen with Ovechkin, it's, it's so funny. It's like I've watched Ovechkin for years now. It's like, man, this guy is more complete than he used to be. And we all knew that. But what no one really seems to understand is he makes such mature plays. It's not like he's sniping every time he has the puck. The guy creates plays. He's not a single one-trick pony like we kind of see with Patrick Lani right now. Sorry, it's the truth. Ovechkin is dynamic right now, and he has been fantastic. He's got 19 points in 15 games, and he has been their 
to find leader. And I also want to mention, and because that's obviously the team of points, 20 points in 15 games, he's been fantastic in backstroke absence. But what it really came down to, and we talked about this last episode, was they needed guys to step up. They needed the bottom six guys to step up, and they've got that. Lars Eller, five points in the last three games. He's looked fantastic in filling in for the void Baxter has left. I thought I've seen a lot from Oshie as well. Their bottom six, this bottom six is rolling, and John Carlson on the point, 14 points in 15 games. Everything that's needed to come together for the Caps has, and that's what makes them such a threat too, to, to Tampa. I think best on best, if you're talking about, you know, if Tampa could have a reset, maybe that was game one. I think it's a lot different, but, you know, that was game three. They still have a lot of catch-up to do. Caps aren't going to be easy to throw. They're not. And even if, if Tom pays to their full efforts, um, I don't know. There, there's something about this. This has to be the best team Ovi's ever had around them. Uh, no. Last year, on paper, they, the team they had last on year paper, was On paper, the Golden Knights sucked. So okay. enough of the paper. Okay. They're, they're playing well. They're playing better than better this postseason than they were in previous postseasons, but I think last year was Ovechkin's best team around him. I think it's this year, it's a different... Trotz has got them playing Ovechkin. a different way. Like, the the Capitals, we've never seen them in this series sit back on a lead. The, in Game 2, uh, the hitting really, really picked up, and in Washington's favor, Lightning had one goal. The Tampa Bay Lightning had one goal at 5-on-5 five five in the first two games. And Jesus. It, it was insane. Uh, I mean, that's a shutdown. Granted, yeah, granted, Andre Vasilevsky didn't look that great. He had that one go in from the goal line by Kuznetsov after the penalty that he took. And I, quite frankly, quite frankly, I did not like that that penalty call. I thought. Are you referring to the one that Vasilevsky got? Yeah, that he just it looked like he stuck his leg ever so slightly, and like Burakovsky was already skating right at him. If if he doesn't stick his foot out a little bit, I think Vasilevsky's getting hit a little. No, yeah, I can I can see that. But I wanna stick on to the series and, and the caps and I what I was actually just thinking about too, if Tampa so if Tampa wants to play catch up here and they're they're gonna be rolling their lines and such and they're gonna stay with the same lineup, do you think that the caps come up with a counter of, you know, maybe putting together a top heavy more line maybe loading up the top six more? I no, I don't think so. I think their scoring is spread out enough for now. I mean, maybe if they're in like the next two games, their their offense goes completely dry. But I mean, uh, yeah, there's no way you're breaking up because you need depth scoring. There's no way you're breaking up Ovi yep. and Kuznetsov. No, you no, no, break no, up no Ovi way. and Kuz- yeah, you you just don't touch that. Way. And then what no. are you thinking? Like put Oshi on the third line or. What do you think? I mean, I, I think it's pretty spread out right now with Burakovsky coming back from injury and playing on the third line. First off, what's the status on Backstrom? What's his? What's going on? He's been on? skating uh, every every pretty much like every day, but pretty much just Is by himself. Is it contact or it's, non-contact? I mean, it's by himself, so it's pretty much non-contact. It's, it's his hand. Okay. He definitely definitely has a broken hand, but um, yep. no, he's he's just been skating about every morning by himself. It, I don't know. It it. it Need, he needs a f- contact practice to get, really get back into it. So until he the has that, I, I, don't, to, I don't expect him coming back. The reason I said they should maybe change up the lines was just because, okay, may, that's not going to happen realistically. I'm talking, I've never been a coach. I never coach. I know they have a different mo- way of thinking. And, you know, I'm an outsider here. But you look at the way Tampa stars were rolling, and it was a star-heavy game that really took over there. You kind of wonder, do they counter with that? But I guess you're right. You know, the caps, what they have spread up, has worked. What about Kuznetsov's really, really caught your eye? He's just... Pff, never seen like this from him. 
Like, the last few years, a big story of the failure. He was one of the guys that was getting a lot of blame. He was one of the guys that was not elevating his game come postseason. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Last postseason, I don't think he had a great uh, great run. And he's really looked – he's looked a lot mature. He's looked like he's just – he's taking control of the game. He's taking control of the offense. Like, he's stepped up large ever since Backstrom came out came out of the lineup. But it's kind of like he – you know, he he saw that happen, and he kind of just took it upon himself to really help pick up the void of Backstrom being out. Because, you know, you got to step up. When, when one of your top elite players falls out of the lineup due to injury, you got to have someone someone or a couple other parts really elevate their game to pick up for that, that lost scoring. And Kuznetsov, if Kuznetsov definitely Kuznetsov wasn't, If Kuznetsov didn't... If what, he wasn't playing at the level he was, I don't know if the Caps are, are getting... I mean, I don't know if they would be fending this well. Not saying that he's the most valuable, but, you know, arguably, if they didn't have him, they would be so different because then you're looking at Ovechkin trying to carry by himself. Like, you get contributions from Kuznetsov probably more, let's be honest, he's producing a level that is more than what Backstrom would be. Like, he, this is the number, he's the, the highest scoring player right now that's still in. So take away Gensel and, uh, I think it was Kessel's number two, I'm not, I'm not sure. But, you know, he has really been the X factor for them. Seriously, it's been insane. I think, and I think John Carlson too is another guy that's looked fantastic and good timing for him, but he's looked great. Yeah, John Carlson's been absolutely, absolutely amazing. Like he's just picking up right where he left off in the in the regular season. But I mean, the Lightning really—I don't know—they're. I have a lot of confidence that they're gonna take Game Four because watching them play, watching the way they played in. In game game three, and did you notice? Uh, did you see Stephen Stamkos before the game was asked about it, and he said, "This, this is when we find out yeah. really how good our team is. You know, when when our backs against well. the wall, down two games on the road. This is really going to show what our team, what our team's all about. Because you know, some of the guys are going to see that, and that really, you know, that's their captain, that, that's their absolutely. leader in the locker room." It's also a matter of, like, as much pressure as there is on the Caps, there's, there's not equal, but there's a huge burden on, on this Tampa team if they can't get past this round because they made the, the so close to the Cup Final a few years ago, missed the playoffs last year. It's been hard, and this course, a lot they've invested in. Stamco stayed here in free agency for the purpose of, you know, him thinking they could win. There's a lot of pieces, and their window isn't that big. Let's keep that in mind. There's a lot of money allocated there. Sergeant and Point will need deals soon. These are the years that they're going to have to win a cup, and there's rightfully urgency there. Yeah, no, it's pretty much this year and next year is a really big window. Exactly. And yeah. That's it. You know, two times the Bolts grew a, a three-goal lead in that game, and the Caps never stopped, and they never showed, no, never showed any sign that they were slowing down. And this just shows that Trotz really has these guys at a different mindset this year than, than in the past. But, I mean, Tampa Bay just weathered that storm. Vasilevsky really stepped up his game after a uh, kind of a poor, definitely a poor start to this series. Definitely not the way he wants that, wanted it to go. But John Carlson, like you said, fantastic. And he, I, think, I think he has a point in every, every game in this series. But, no, does, Tampa yeah. Bay really had a great response in Game 3. It's kind of like a best on best, you know. It's really all like power play wise, they're very similar in that sense. That could be a huge factor going forward as well. And you know, they can't wait on Backstrom, so they have to roll with what they're they're going with for the Caps. 
Um, going forward, what do you think Tampa needs to do or continue to do to get back into the series? What does Tampa need to do? Yeah. Well, I mean, Tampa, they're very stirred. They need to win this, this next game. If they really want to... They, they'll have a stranglehold in the series if they win this game. You know, a big response to losing the first two games at home and then coming on the road. They need to win this next game. You know, going down 3-1, that's not what they want. They, they need this game. And quite frankly, I think they are going to win, win game four. I, I, I'm calling overtime. I'm calling tomorrow night is going to be our first overtime game of this playoffs. Please help me. I want that so badly. I, I, I was hoping tonight's was game was going to go to overtime. There was, there was no of the of the conference finals. My bad. Right? Yeah. There has not been a lot of overtime games. It sucks. Second round, there wasn't that many either. Like I remember last year watching and like the New York Cap series. It was last year, the year before. There was like three games and two of them went to double overtime. You know, it's I love overtime playoff hockey. You got to see more of it. It's where heroes are Yeah, made. no. Overtime is the best. And you know what I really like about overtime? No commercials. Oh, yeah. No commercials. That is the you, it's, you just literally, on. it's just all hockey. Next goal wins. Next goal yeah. wins. Awesome. Let's, let's shift on a John Carlson here, shall we? What's up? You just, your, the audio <laughs> just kind of lagged out. I, say that again. My bad. Uh, should, we get to John Carl, should we get to John Carlson? Yeah, John Carlson, get into his uh, kind of contract talks. He, John Carlson, he's a good kid, he's a good kid. Here we go, here we go, here we go. John Carlson, he, so as we mentioned. He's before, honestly going to get so much money. Wait, wait, this let summer. me talk, let me talk, let me talk. John Carlson, having a fantastic playoff performance this year, 14 points in 15 playoff games, 10 of those are on the power play, leading all defensemen. This season, he had 68 points in 82 right season games, 32 of those points on the power play, which was second amongst all defensemen. And after this year, he's uh, set to become a free agent. A monstrous season from him at the right time. You know, there's lots to be made about what he's worth and such. And, you know, today we see Ekman Larson. It's reported by Craig Morgan of Arizona Sports that the Coyotes and Ekman Larson are discussing an eight-year deal north of $8 million. That would put Carlson at second amongst all defensemen on cap hit, tied with Brent Burns. And that's an interesting comparable there. And you look at Carlson as him, the open market, and, you know, there's not really a... It's like basically whoever can, of all 30 teams, throw the most at him can do that. What do you think John Carlson can make this summer? I think John Carlson makes... Because, you know, it's it. there is that that option that you wait a year, save your money, and Eric right. Carlson's available. Obviously, you want Eric Carlson over John Carlson. <laughs> Obviously, you want Eric over, over John. So if you're going to spend that kind of money, don't... Like John Carlson could definitely get eight point five million this offseason. That would be overpaying him in my opinion because I think the back years of that contract is gonna be a lot worse compared to the Eric Carlson back years and Andrew Doughty and OEL. The you know, John Carlson he's just I think because one, it's gonna be a seven year contract. So I guess that works out in their favor for sure because they're UFAs and they wouldn't be returning to their previous team, which I don't think the Washington Capitals are going to be able to pay John Carlson because I definitely think he's going to get offered 8.5. I mean, heck, a team could even throw 9 at him if it really comes down to a bidding war. No way. If it comes down to a bidding war, it could happen. I can't see that happen because that means that John Carlson's tied for the highest cap hit in the league. There's no way a team would value him that way. 
There's teams no way. Would, it gets a teams nine. would look at it. If it gets you, you would if it say gets to that, nine. What's Carlson getting to? You would say it. Carlson would get ten. Carlson's already getting ten. Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson. So you're saying Eric Carlson gets ten. John Carlson gets nine. That's a that's not a big enough gap. Carlson deserves more than John Carlson. I think substantially. Yes and no. Like, I don't know. Ten million dollars per season is a lot of money. John Eric, John Carlson definitely. This nine. is so confusing with two Carlsons. John Carlson. I know. Okay. <laughs> deserves the the amount of money he's going to get because he's the only top defenseman on in this market this summer. But this every year. team every he team means it. Yeah, this year. Some, but someone's going to get them. It's going to come down to some sort of bid, bidding war. You know, it's year by year. These GMs are on year by year windows. Like they, John Carlson is definitely, definitely, if, if, if it really comes down to two or three teams bidding for, for him, it could get to $9 million per season. The one, the one way I'd agree with you is because of how big of a year he had this year. Like, if, if he was not nearly as good as this year, we'd be talking about a whole different ballgame, but he was undoubtedly the best offensive defense in the league right now. And you're right, that hit in the open market's scary, financially. But I cannot see a team... Okay, the only way I think it'd be nine is if it's A, front or back loaded. Like, the money's either... No, front loaded. So, less, you're paying him less as the years go on, but he's still got a $9 million cap hit. That's, like... That's going to be hard to have in the back end of that. John Carlson, offensive defenseman. Not to say, I'm not shitting on his defensive game, but I'm just saying, in retrospect, like what you're paying for is more offensive. I don't know. I have a problem with, with $9 million on Eric Carlson. And John Carlson. I, Jesus, they have a lot different It's the years. open market for a reason. You know, the guys are going to get overpaid in the open market. We see it year after year. That's the difference between if a guy if, stays. And spree signs with his previous team, you know, like we were seeing with OEL. OEL's getting eight million. He could probably ask for nine million. Like it's I definitely possible with think the cap that... going up, but it's also a- Arizona. He wants to stay there. He really, it's really showing that he really wants to win in Arizona and with that team and that group because he could definitely ask for nine million. I think OEL at eight's a steal. Because like of the because if you get him before it's open market and you get him to eight, that's a steal. The cap mm-hmm. rising, I think that's it's Because okay, for me, I would rather pay him nine million dollars to Ekman Larson than Carlson. What would you do if you had nine million dollars to spend? John who'd you rather pay to? Okay, I would. If I had nine million dollars, I'd rather give it to Ekman Larson. All the last names are similar. Okay, Ekman Larson as opposed to Carlson. What what would you do there? Obviously, I would go with OEL. We're we're talking John Carlson. Right? Yes, not Eric. Yeah, yes. too many sons. But no, like so. That's a huge deal for Arizona. I do you think the Caps? Do you think they know that they could? They're very well could lose what John Carlson. Oh, definitely. I think that's another reason why they're really pushing this this uh, postseason run. This is their real opportunity. I don't know if this team can really put it all. This team would really have to put it all together. A, another. Uh, year after losing a top defenseman. Like, I don't know if they could really do that. Do you think... I mean, another thing to think about, too, is if they come close, he could be hungry and want to go back to them. Because if you look at the way the salary cap is, most of the teams that could throw massive offers at Carlson, with the exception of, like, Vegas, aren't playoff teams. So, does he take the money or a discount? 
Toronto That's could be a comes- playoff team. If Toronto gets it, dude, Toronto could miss out on Tavares and Stastny and want to throw their money somewhere, and they could get caught up in this whole ordeal. There's no way Toronto is getting in a bidding war with all... Okay, should we shift into JT and get to the Leafs? Yeah, I'm, I'm All ready. right. That's, oh, I know you are, Blake. Okay, so let's talk about John Carlson. We'll bring him back up, but let's talk about the number one fish in the free agency market, and that's John Tavares. As we all know, John Tavares will be an unrestricted free agent come July 1st of this year. There's so many different variables of where he could go, whether he stays, he leaves. I think that there's a little interesting component in the recent developments of Lula Morello. Now, it's been reported by Darren Dreger, amongst other TSN insiders, that there is a real kind of traction to the rumor that Luke Lamorello could end up on Long Island. Like, if that were to happen, and we'll get to Toronto and other perspective, do you think that that could have any, you know, impact on if Tavares stays in Long Island? Or do you think his decision doesn't really depend on that whatsoever? Because I did see a lot of things on Twitter of people saying, put Lou in the fold, and, you know, he it's a good chance Tavares stays. But, I mean, do you think that holds true? Yeah, I think that's a big, uh, a big, uh, Factor. I, I definitely think Lou Lamorello does everything in his power to keep Tavares in Long Island if he gets the, if he if ends up uh, working for them. But what does he do that? What can he do that's different than say Garth Snow? Like like obviously, okay, that's I just think he's say. he's a he better negotiator. I think he's a better negotiator. I think he can convince Tavares to stay. I think I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's like a lot of questions will be answered with the the sign of the paper. Like we don't know what Tavares is thinking. It's we so don't true. know. He's not obviously letting any we'll information out. We don't we don't know what his opinion on opinion is with the arena situation. You know, he doesn't. We exactly. don't know that kind You're of so stuff. So right. But what we do know is there's teams like Toronto, Vegas, and the New York Rangers, Montreal Canadiens, who have an abundance of space to kind of San Jose Sharks. spend. San Jose Sharks as well, yeah, uh, I forgot about them. And they, they are, they can very well be big players in this as well. Let's go team by team here. Let's let's analyze where Tavares could end up. So let's start with at home. Let's start with the New York Islanders. What would compel him to stay there? And let, let's bring in what's going on here and what we've learned in recent weeks. Because it's funny, Blake, July 1st is not far away. It's kind of crazy to think about it, how Tavares could very well be on a different team or be re-upping Long Island quite soon. So let's break it down. Islanders, why could he stay? I think he could stay because we, we know he's a loyal guy. We know he really loves playing in Long Island. He, he really enjoyed his, his, the beginning of his career there. And, you know, he's the captain. It's his locker room. But I think, you know, we're... I think Toronto is definitely a spot... Like, it's... If, if, if Tavares really can get away from the idea of staying uh, in Long Island, then I think Toronto's got to be the frontrunner to sign him because, you know, it's his hometown. They, Kyle Dubas I can love- really make a big splash in this. He, he, this, this, is, this could be his first major signing and move for the, the Leafs as GM, and this would really set the Leafs, set the Leafs off. Okay, let's get to the Leafs. Enough of team by team. We're going to do it. The Leafs are next anyways. But Toronto Maple Leafs, the one problem I have with the idea of Tavares going there, and a lot of people, be it also, I follow a lot of Leafs people on, on Twitter and Leafs fans and, and such like that. A lot of people have been talking about how it just, it makes too much sense not to happen, right? Because hometown team, all the things you mentioned. But 
I still think it's an issue because he's going to want the max contract for a long amount of time. How can they do that and also give Marner and Tavares contracts that are only 2 or $3 million different than Tavares's? How can they do three of those and keep the other players on their team? Yes, they have friendly deals like Kadri, Riley, uh, what's another? Jake Garner even relatively is friendly. It's not terrible, and that could be moved. But they have no terrible contracts. Matt Martin will be gone. Like, in my opinion, there's way too much money allocated to the big three to consider Tavares long-term. And I think he's going to only sign for long-term. I agree with you in, in, to a certain point. The Leafs are going to have a ton of cap room this season. Patrick Marlowe yep. also comes off the books in two seasons. Well, technically one, because the, I'm pretty sure, and I would double-check it. Okay, I'm going to double-check it, but I'm pretty sure his contract, the third year, is something kind of tricky. Like, not Roby to Island tricky, but like... Well, anyways, he's then, then, he, then he's off the books even sooner, so then they have even more money to give John DeVares because he's going to sign in Toronto. So, they have... An abundance of wingers. That's what they've done a great job with. Like, okay, for the next two years, at least, you have Marlowe, one. Uh, Hyman, two. Brown, three. Brown. Nylander, Kapanen, Janssen. There's seven wingers to... So this is just referring to the top nine, if you sign Tavares. Then there's seven wingers to spread out between three lines. Yes, that means one extra winger. So that winger's playing on the fourth line. So therefore, you only have two more forward spots you need to fill. And honestly, those can be filled internally, in my opinion. The Leafs are going to be set for at least the next three years. Okay. Matthews and Marner I don't think you're, I think you're just saying more signed, facts about how they're good. No, I don't, no, I'm saying that how amazingly good it would make the Leafs. If they sure, but how could it work? Bears. How could it How work? could it work? I just because all those wingers, the Brown and Hyman d- deals are under two point five million. Janssen and Kapanen, Janssen needs a contract. Kapanen or Kapanen needs a contract. Janssen and Janssen not. and Janssen. Johnson does. Okay, those guys aren't signing for any more than than two million, and get them on probably less. I bet you, let's say for, for argument's sake, Blake, let's say Johnson signs a, a one year, $1 million deal and Kaepernick signs, uh, two years, 2.2. Okay. Now go off that. How would that work? Uh, you don't need to crush the numbers, but like, let's just pretend that's the case. So that more cheap wingers. Those yeah, exactly. More cheap wingers. One of those guys potentially is playing on your fourth line or Connor Brown. You have so Which is great. And then, then you have, then you have Hyman cheap. Marlowe obviously isn't cheap, but he's very effective. 200 foot pl- player. Then your centers, you don't, like, we haven't even focused on the centers. The centers are the best part of the lineup. Matthews, Tavares, Kadri. <laughs> that is insane. Sure, like, it's all. I don't disagree with you that it would work great on paper. And if I was doing a BGM in NHL, sure, like, that'd be fun to, to try out. But I think that with the, the money they have allocated, aside from the big three, that's got to be spent on the back end. Because I think that they can win with this core. I, yes, John Tavares would accelerate it in the present, but I believe that if you are you know, spending more money on your back end instead of John Tavares and not giving yourself cap problems, you could probably be better suited. I just You think, don't want to lose one of the big three. I, I don't think they will lose a big three. I think they, they get... Kyle Dubas needs to be able to get this through these guys' heads that if you guys all don't take 
max amount of money that you can get and get enough money. Like, you're still getting paid very handsomely. Like, you're still getting paid. Every one of them is going to get over $6 million a year. John Tavares, take $8 million. Austin Matthews, take $9 million. Marlowe or Marner makes seven million, then Neeler makes six million. You that's that's doable. Do you just can't get it into their head that they take less. You have to realize the professional athletes and their agents are the ones dealing with it. They're the ones like the agents are saying, look, this player's worth X. My player will not give up will not get home out of this count. So pay us or we're walking or we're just not gonna sign. That's the thing. I don't know if Dubas has that much control in his hands. He he would have to hope that a Marner or Nylander would take less, but I don't think they would. The only one I could see possibly doing would be Marner. I don't... I mean, as long as... Okay, the Leafs... If the, the, in order for this to work, the Leafs have to sign... Would have to sign all three of, the, all three of the, those players this summer. Marlowe, Marner... Or, why do I keep saying Marlowe? Matthews, Mar, Marner, and Nylander. Marlander, Thews, what I like to call them. They, they would all need to sign this summer because if... If they let Matthews and Marner wait another year, you know their point totals are only going up, and that means that number that number of salaries only going up. So speaking of kind of super teams, there's there's a hunch I have about the Penguins being in the running, and I and I, I don't know if John if that interests John Tavares, and I don't know if if that could even really happen. But Jim Rutherford's guy does like to stand pat and stay still, right? And they don't have an abundance of cap space, but they could make some moves to make it happen. I think they're a dark horse in this situation because for Tavares, it's like you're drawing a one, two, three punch of that. Holy crap. You're drawing think, a super team. I think if anyone's to refer to be a GM, that should be you in that situation. That is completely ridiculous. That's insane. It's a dark horse. It's yeah, a dark and that's horse. insane. Could... There's not a chance in, in any world that Pittsburgh is breaking up that would that would make that would mean so many moves. They're already up against the cap. So, all right, let's move on from that. Vegas. What about them? Could they make a pitch? Oh, definitely. I think Vegas can make a pitch to John Car- to not John Carlson to. There's too many John Tavares. Too many to John and- <laughs> to John Tavares this summer. Have another fantastic year, and then make a, a strong push to either Dowdy or Eric Carlson. I think Dowdy would definitely want to go there. Vegas is the number one player this offseason. That's the thing. And these next few offseasons. If they want. Listen, they've if got they stay to good. sign. Um, yes, true. But this offseason, they were good last year. Yes. Right? So exactly. it's like... So that's the thing. They have so much money to spend. So much attractiveness in the market itself. Because take away the strip. Vegas, as an appeal to a market, is not about the strip. They're a hockey town now. They so truly are. And that environment is so fun to play in. And I think they could really, really sell that to people. But with that said, they could hold out this year and do what they did this year, which was seemingly fine, or maybe add some pieces here and there and go for the 2019 market. But they are still big players. Sorry to diverge from Tavares. I want to bring up one more team to you, and that's the Montreal Canadiens. And they're a team that uh, they're kind of talking about Tavares because, you know, they're another Canadian market. They've, they've got money to spend. Mark Bergevin does not like to sit. I to trade people. But uh, he, he definitely somebody likes to sign people for agency, especially the big fish. Could that be a possibility? Because for me, I don't know how much Montreal would make sense compared to the other options. Now I'm starting to think that. Before, I, was, I thought it could happen, but now I don't really know. 
I think it's a possible pitch. Like, obviously, he is a, John Tavares has a great relationship with Shea Weber and Carey Price. But I look at that situation like Shea Weber's 32 years old. He's not even going to start the right. season on time this year with that broken with that uh, foot surgery. Carey Price is 30 years old, so he's older than John Tavares. That I don't know if this is really the team and the the organization and the GM to trust to be able to keep this team and this kind of this core to keep it evolving. Like they're gonna need to. You know, rebuild on the fly if they were going to sign a 27-year-old like John Tavares to that big contract and promise him that they're going to be a good team. Because, you know, you know Price has, has some good years left, obviously. And then they got jo- Jonathan Drouin on a nice contract. But Max Pacioretty is going to need to sign need to sign in a few years. You know, we don't know how that situation is going to go. I don't, I don't know how, how much... John Tavares really wants to go to a team like this in the situation they're in, but obviously there's historic franchise. Like people love the idea of playing for the Montreal Canadiens, so it's going to be very interesting. Totally. But but the thing is though is if I'm Tavares the agent and let's say Bergevin's like you know come here we'll build a winner he's probably looking at Bergevin's track record it's like yeah, this guy's actually done a freaking terrible job at doing yeah. that. So that that's another thing too. I don't really know because if you if Tavares to them, room and people are selling him on, we will build this. You look at their track record. Vegas, they built something out of nothing, right? So it's like hey, hey, let's say it's a pitch. Toronto, they they act fast. They got a world class coach in Babcock, and you said uh, Price and Weber's catching Babcock's coach Tavares. That's another factor as well. And then you look at even the Rangers, which listen, he's not going there. Like as much as people say, it, I I don't believe he's on the Rangers at all. I don't even think there's a chance he considers burning the Islanders that bad. I really don't. So, but even there, there's there's more kind of proof of Jeff Gordon's done a good job of, you know, kind of rebuilding this heel on the fly. Montreal doesn't have that. They have a very, very stingy GM, and that's why I think they're really turned off for me. No, I, I definitely yeah. agree with that. Any Dark Horse candidates off the top of your head? Like, is there any... Do you think there's a, a suitor that could emerge from the dead here? Like, people said the wild, but I can't... Like, I can't really think of a team that's going to come out of the woodwork... And just throw a pitch to Varish, because in hockey you can't do that these days. Like I, I don't know you know if I don't know if San Jose is considered a dark horse to people because they have been in in the news a little bit in the media about when this topic comes up. Right. But I don't know. Maybe there's there's teams like the Florida Panthers, the the Columbus Blue Jackets. I don't know. Maybe those teams are are able to make a move because those are the deepest teams down the middle. You know, the. You know, Florida's obviously got Barkov, but it's like, look at Barkov and Tavares. And the Columbus Blue Jackets obviously got guys like Dubois. So what if Dubois and Tavares? Like, you know, people look at that and they really want to have that one-two, that elite one-two punch that all these teams are thriving for. And everyone needs to have success in the playoffs, which we're seeing. I don't know about you, but it's kind of cool how, like, for me, I like love watching the playoffs. My favorite part of the year, undoubtedly. And then, while I want to watch more hockey, but the fact that free agency and the draft comes right after, is the it's the best timing. Like, you know, all the action happens in the playoffs, and then it's all the moves, which we love to talk about and love to just, you know, speculate on. It's, it's great timing, honestly. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the best best part of the hockey season is the, the final two rounds of the playoffs, then the draft, then the free agency. It's great. Absolutely. I can't disagree with you there. Blake, it's time to wrap it up. Uh, any closing thoughts? What, do you, what have you been up to recently? I've been back, uh, back uh, playing roller hockey and just uh, doing some stuff for Bar Down, actually. 
Tell us what, wait, what, oh, right, right, the modeling stuff. That's awesome. Um, I, uh, I'm homeless. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, that's an unfortunate situation. Explain that briefly. Yeah, my roommate's comedic note. Yeah, hilarious. Um, my, uh, my <laughs> was-to-be roommate did not get into Ryerson, so I am now looking for a house. If any listeners got a place open, let the host Jacob know. That'd be freaking awesome. But uh, that's all for today, guys, and we'll be back. I think we're, we're going to aim to get back after these series at the end, but you never know. We could have specials out, too. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll be there. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Blake and Jake podcast. For updated info, follow them on Twitter at Blake and Jake pod.